0: Thank you for tuning in to Avant Life's weekly podcast. We hope this message inspires you, stirs your faith, and leaves you blessed. Church, it is my privilege and an honor to be with you in this capacity today. It's no small thing what God is doing in this place. And although it may not be in this place, it still is in the same place. What God has been doing in the hearts and minds of this church over the course of the last year is no small thing. And I find that sometimes we can take it for granted because it looks different. And so before I get into what I have prepared this morning and what I believe God wants to share with us, I'd like to remind us of something that we can so easily forget. I'd like to remind you that God is thoughtful. He is a thoughtful God. See, he's a God that prepares things in a logical way. And even though I might be going through something that doesn't make sense, it's only a matter of time before hindsight kicks in and God's voice speaks to me and everything seems to fall in its place. And the same is said for your life. You see, God has some plans and He has other plans. He's got plans to get you into some things and He's got plans to get you out of some things, depending on what you're in. And that's cause for worship this morning. I look at God and how He created the world and I see that before a fish was ever created, He prepared the sea. He prepared the land before any animals set foot and He prepared the garden and the purpose for Adam and Eve before they ever breathed. And the same is said for you today. God has been preparing things for you and he's thoughtful and sometimes we can overlook this attribute of God this characteristic that he has and we dismiss it and think that everything that is happening in our life is just the cause of chaos and now all of a sudden I lose my confidence but if I remind myself for a moment that my God is thoughtful all of a sudden I reflect that he always prepares things before he places us in them our God is a thoughtful God And just like a parent or expecting parents will dream about what their child's voice will sound like or what their face will look like or the color of their eyes, just like they will go and prepare a place in the house ready so that when bubs comes, there's somewhere for it to sleep, somewhere for them to eat, somewhere for them to enjoy the presence of their parents, so too does God prepare places for us to experience him. And although it's not here, it is in here and it is wherever you are. So I want to encourage you this morning, church. Our God is thoughtful and not for a moment has He ever been unthoughtful. He's not reckless. He's not uh, timid. He's not uh, flippant with what He does. He is thoughtful. He is logical. And everything always follows in a logical way, even if it doesn't make sense from the outset. So I'd like for you to turn to or tap to or scroll to Matthew chapter 25, and I'm gonna be reading from verse 14. And I want you to stick with me because this is a fairly long story, I'll give you a heads up, but there's a lot in here that I really feel like God wants us to draw out today. So verse 14, I'll give you a little bit of context. This is about a week before Jesus is crucified. He's with his disciples, his 12 closest disciples, and he's having a private and intimate conversation with them and there's some things here that he wouldn't usually share with everyone else at this time. And so we're dropped into this conversation with Jesus and his disciples. And let's see what Jesus has to say. Verse 14 Again, Jesus said, It will be like a man going on a journey, who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one, he gave five bags of gold, to another, two bags, and to another, one bag. Each were given according to their own ability. Then he went on his journey The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See that I have gained five more. The master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. Then the man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you have entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. his master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money in deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have at least received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags. For whoever has been giving more, they will have an abundance Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them and throw the worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Church, I would like to tag a title to our message this morning. And the title that I'm working with is under this, Grave Diggers Anonymous. So for my note takers, if you're looking for something to put at the top of your page or the top of uh, your um, phone page, I suppose it's the same thing, makes sense. Gravediggers Anonymous is our title. I'm suggesting that unlike any other addiction in life, Gravediggers Anonymous is synonymous with everyone. Unlike alcoholism, or unlike uh, being addicted to drugs, or being addicted to pornography, or sex, or shopping, or chocolate, or whatever it is, all of those things affect a few people. Gravediggers Anonymous affects everyone. I'm suggesting that Jesus is not highlighting the problems of a few. He is highlighting the condition of my heart and your heart, and it's the same across the board. This is a human issue. So, part one for my note takers, you had it the whole time. Some of you may not know this, uh, but when I was younger, I was trained in the martial art form of Taekwondo, and... In order to progress through the different levels and get the different belts all the way up to to black belt, you would have to be graded by someone who was higher than you. And I remember at this grading ceremony, uh, I was trying to get from one belt to the next and I'd passed everything up until the last challenge, which was this like spinning back kick and I had to kick this terracotta tile and and basically shatter it. Um, The irony is this was supposed to be the easiest of all of the things we'd done. And so little old me, I would have been maybe like 10 or 11 years old. I've like set up, the whole room's watching, my friends, my family. I'm feeling like the king because I've just aced everything else and this is the last thing to do. And so I spin around, I kick my leg, it hits the terracotta tile, nothing happens. I try three more times and nothing happens. And by this stage, my foot is so sore that I can't kick the board hard enough, or the, the, uh, the tile hard enough to break it. And I actually start crying, less because of the pain. <laughs> these guys are laughing behind me. but <laughs> I feel like every time I share a story in church now, it's just, hey, what made John cry? Um, <laughs> so I'm crying, but it's not because of the pain. It's because of the, the hurt to my pride, because I've invited all these people to come and watch me. And I've, I've stuffed up the easiest part. So uh, the guy who's holding the tile, he goes, hey, why don't you swap legs? So I'm like, oh, okay, all right, so I'll swap legs. And uh, man, let me tell you something. I spin around. I kick my leg. My leg hits that tile and nothing happens. And I try three more times on my other leg. Nothing happens. And he leans over and he's like, hey, you got this. And all of a sudden, I, I start to feel like encouraged. My confidence starts like building again. I got no more tears in my eyes. I'm just like wiping it with my like ghee. So I swap legs again, because now my right foot doesn't hurt as much as my left foot from hitting the tile. And man, I give this thing everything I've got. Like I wind up, I look like Goku. I'm like channeling everything, not that you can, and spin around and I kick my leg and it hits this tile. And all of a sudden, nothing happens again. And so, I kid you not, I was the only person who didn't pass that day. <laughs> so, fast forward one week, and uh, we're back in, like, you know, the dojo hall thingo, o and uh, the instructor who was holding the, the tile brings out this plastic board. And now, I'd broken these boards hundreds of times, because they're what you use to gauge how powerful your kick is and whether you're actually generating the right amount of power for the action that you're doing. And so he holds this board and it's got the, you know, the purple front on it. And he's like, hey, I want you to kick this board. And I'm like, man, I've done this thing like a hundred times. What are you talking about? He's like, no, I want you to kick this board. So, you know, I get in my stance. I spin around, I kick my leg and the plastic board just, you know, it snaps in half. And it's got these interlocking like lips that just like lock together. So he puts it back together and he goes, all right, now try the other leg. So I go again, spin around, kick my leg, hits the board and the whole thing snaps He's like, see, you had it the whole time. I'm like, what do you mean? This is one of the plastic boards. We do this every week. He said, no, this is the purple board. And the purple board actually takes more force to break than a terracotta tile. He'd swap the boards on me. I had it the whole time. It was just a mental thing. So point number one for part one is about outlook. will eat good ability for breakfast every day of the week. We cannot ignore the fact that all of these servants in the story were a part of the same house, but they didn't take part in doing the same things. Just because they were living in the same house didn't mean that they were living in the same way. And often, this is actually a picture of what happens in church. Just because we are a part of the same house, just because we're a part of serving the same God, does not mean that everyone who puts their hand to his work will actually succeed. And I'm not ever uh, sure if you have paid attention to this fact that God is thoughtful, but when I read this story, it sounds like the Master is just being like pretty mean. Oh, okay, You failed. So I'm going to send you to hell. But that's not what is happening. There's a key verse here, and it's verse 15. I'll read it out for you. "To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags and to another one bag, each according to his own ability. And then he went on his journey. God is thoughtful, right? He plans and prepares things in an orderly fashion. So as the master is preparing what he's going to give to his servants, he is considering what their abilities are. He has not given them anything that would overwhelm them, but at the same time, he has not given them anything that would underwhelm them. So God knows intricately what your abilities are. And sometimes I find that I have this mistrust to God that whenever he asks me to do something, that I'm going to be overwhelmed by it and the stress and anxiety and fear can hit and all of a sudden my faith is left buried. Or sometimes God asks me to leave something behind maybe and need to go to something else. And I just think, man, how can I ever be satisfied by what that is? And so we forget that God is thoughtful Number two, God's game isn't perfection, it's development. See, sometimes in the Western church, we treat God like we treat our boss. And we forget that God actually loves us, God actually saved us, and he wants to live with us. The master's agenda in this whole scenario was developing each of the servants. Let's read it. Verse 21 and verse 23. His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. Then to the second servant, his master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. In each moment with the success of being faithful to what they were given, it's grown. So it's not about the money, it's about the development. That's what causes the master to be happy, and also the invitation for us to take part in his happiness as well. It's not like they reached some moment where they had it all, right? And and oftentimes I find that you know we, we're on a good running with God and we have a great innings and you know we kick a few goals and all of a sudden we sort of start to develop this pride or this shell, and I sort of feel like, well, you know. I've done a lot for God recently. Um, I'm probably good for a couple weeks. You know what I mean? But that's not the case. We should be going from glory to glory, from strength to strength, from trust to trust. It never ends. We're always progressing. If the goal is Christ, then no matter what, we've still got a long way to go. This text teaches us that it does not matter where you start. Both servants who were faithful were given the invitation by their master To enjoy the happiness, not the money. So therefore, it does not matter how capable or incapable they were to start, because it's two different amounts. It just depended on whether we are growing what is in our hands. So do I need to draw attention, perhaps, to the people who were given less in life but still achieved great things? I look at people like Moses who had a stutter and yet he saved millions of people out of slavery. I look at people like David who had a lust problem and who slept and committed adultery with someone else's wife and then had the guy murdered in battle and yet God used him to write hundreds of songs. What about Gideon? Gideon's regarded as the least and most inadequate person in his entire family, and yet he becomes the commander of the entire Jewish nation's army. Peter in the New Testament, massive anger problem, and yet he becomes the bedrock leader of the early church. Just because it seems inadequate does not mean that you're not enjoying the master's happiness. He just wants you to develop yourself where you are. Number three, we're all emotional-aholics. And I'll be honest with you, I tried really hard to figure out how to like, join emotional and aholics together in a way that sounded like really zippy and cool. You know, I was like, oh man, people are going to be like, whoa, that's pretty, pretty clever of you. You're such a wordsmith, Joel. But plot twist, I'm not. So maybe in the chat... You know, someone's got a better idea on how to mix emotional and and aholics together. And when you're writing this down, you can just take theirs. But for now, emotional aholics works. Uh, Is it not true that we develop these emotional attachments to the way that we want to live our lives? See, sometimes I find that I want something so bad that I think that it must be God. But if I'm imperfect and God is perfect then I just have to run the numbers and know that there's going to be moments where what God wants and what I want are against each other. They're going to be going in two separate directions because God is constant, but I'm not. And my emotions and my needs and my wants and desires are constantly changing. So it's just a matter of time. It is just a matter of time before God wants something in your life and you don't want it but just because it doesn't line up with what I'm emotionally attached to does not mean it doesn't line up with what God wants. This is why it is so important to apply this not just to making decisions, but to apply this to what we go through. Have you ever gone through a season or some moments in life, perhaps pain and trauma, that didn't make sense while you were in it? And is it not true that hindsight often changes our mind about pain? So often, those moments and those seasons in life that I was adamantly sure were going to break me, that I was adamantly sure I had no hope in, actually ended up being the moments that built me and prepared me for whatever was next in my life. I'd like to share a story with you guys. This is between three and six months before we moved to Vancouver, and I was helping a friend start a restaurant, and. We started, you know, doing pretty well. And all of a sudden, one of the partners came up to me and he said, hey, uh, we're actually going to be opening a second restaurant. And we've secured one of Canberra's premier sites for a restaurant. To put it into perspective, the Jamie Oliver chain was in this spot just before we were taking it over. And they had just flown in a chef from France and he was going to create this whole, you know, French menu cuisine and it was going to be great. And he said, we want you to open that restaurant for us. Now, this was supposed to be a part-time gig for me, just literally to get me across to Canada and fill in that gap between uh, when I finished studying and then when we were flying out. And so now, all of a sudden, I'm met with this dilemma. A couple of months ago, I was completely sure that God wanted me to go to Canada, and now, all of a sudden, the opportunity of a lifetime, you know, 21, 22 years old, the promise of a six-figure income, the promise of shares in two restaurants... And uh, all of a sudden, I'm like, oh, okay, well, like, is, is this God? Maybe I got this wrong. Maybe I just wasn't patient enough, uh, patient enough and I jumped on something too early. Well, truth be told, um, it wasn't what God wanted, and I came back to, you know, the promises that he gave me, the words that he gave me, prayers that people had prayed, and prophecies that people had given, and I decided to still go across to Canada. Uh, nine months later, that restaurant went bankrupt. And it's funny because in that moment, everything seemed to be going so great. But isn't it just like God to see what's ahead and save us from certain pains that we maybe weren't ready for? Because imagine the regret of not coming to Canada and staying in this job and then that falling through. Man, isn't God good? Prepares us from our own bad decisions, hey? Often, we're, we're actually in an emotionally drunken stage right? And we're like addicts that are just hell-bent on finding our next fix. Let me read 1 Peter 5 verse 8 and 9 to you. Be sober-minded, be watchful, for your adversary the devil prowls around around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him and be firm in your faith. Be sober-minded, be watchful. See, one of the things that the devil wants is to uh, have us make life-altering decisions in stages of emotional instability. When I am highly emotional, when I am highly strung, when I want something so bad, it's in those moments that I risk making decisions that will forever change my life and alter me in a direction that is actually away from what God wants. I'm calling it God, but it's really not. It's, it's me. It's not God. So let me read Romans 12, verse 1 to 2 in the message. So here is what I want you to do. God helping you take your everyday life, your ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you can't fit in without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. God's goal is not perfection, it's development. And when we are emotionally drunk, we risk throwing all that development out the window for a quick fix. So part two, just because I think I know doesn't mean I really know. There's two problems that I notice in this story. And they're actually two of the most heartbreaking components. The first one is that the last servant never asked for help. And so I want to encourage you this morning that you are never so alone that you cannot ask for help, right? Just because God doesn't call everyone the same way or by the same means doesn't mean that your lack of confidence needs to be the death of your calling, our differences are not a bad thing. They actually speak to how we can't do it all by ourselves. We need other people. Ecclesiastes 4 verse 9. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. If you're watching this, you have access to A, a chat, a chat, B, to requesting to be in a life group. C, to actually call someone. Add someone on Instagram and say, hey, I'm actually really struggling with something. I need help to bury something. I noticed that you seem to be kicking goals. Can you help me? But this guy never decided to. Instead, he built these walls up to protect some image that everything was going to be okay. And I cannot tell you, church, how many times I've done the exact same thing because this is us. I build up walls I think that I'm protecting this image, but really I'm just isolating myself from what I need most, which is God and other people, the help of other people. Number two, and I find this the most heartbreaking part of the story, is that the last servant never dug up the talent until he was forced to settle the account with God. The danger of never reflecting on how we live our lives is that we just assume that we're doing okay. And so something stays buried that was never meant to be buried. It's not a seed. Money's not like that. That's not how it works. It's it's something that is valuable. And just because it's in the ground doesn't mean it loses its value, but it does if it never gets used. Because what's the difference between money in the ground and a dead body in the ground? Nothing. One can be used and one can't be used, but they're both in the exact same state. And they're both in the exact same place. We actually kill what God meant for us to use. See, uh, Jesus doesn't actually tell us in this story what the servant was doing, but we could take a guess. And because this is uh, a parable, right, and actions speak louder than words, and that's that's how it works in the parables. That's what makes them so revolutionary. I think we could apply this parable to our own life and see those moments where maybe we've buried something we shouldn't have because we had other things to do. Well, maybe I wanted to change my career. Or maybe I wanted to settle down and have a couple of kids and go on a few good holidays before I start the work. Or, you know, maybe I wanted to catch up on 18 seasons of my new favourite show. Whatever it is, you can insert whatever we use to act as that hostage between us and God. Like, oh, better not come any closer, God, otherwise, uh, you know, this stuff will fail. But it's just smoke and mirrors. And the moment that we use something as a shield is the moment it becomes an idol because it gets between us and God. But those things aren't bad in and of themselves. There's nothing wrong with changing your career. There's nothing wrong with taking a holiday. There's nothing wrong with having a family and having kids. None of those things are evil. But the moment that they're used to get in the way between you and God, you've placed something in between. And that's not on God. That's on us. God didn't put them there. We put them there. The antidote to this is actually humility. First Peter 5, verse 6 and 7 Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. How funny is that? At the proper time he'll exalt you. So that's the invitation to enjoy in the master's happiness. But maybe the servant, we don't know, it's not in the text, but I'd guess maybe the servant just wanted to do some other stuff first. He wanted to exalt himself. He wanted to enjoy happiness first, and then he'll get to whatever the the master gave him. The antidote is humility. And isn't it interesting how Peter in this verse talks about humbling yourselves, and then all of a sudden he's talking about anxieties? Why, Why would I have to cast my anxieties on him when I humble myself? Could it be that because I'm so emotionally attached that when I start to pay attention to what God wants, I feel like I'm neglecting all of these things? The partnership of humility and anxiety is one that is often overlooked, but it's there because we feel, don't we? Like, well, if I change how I'm living or if I change what I'm doing, then I'm going to be neglecting all of these things and I'll lose them. But God's saying, hey, just humble yourself, cast your anxieties and your cares on me, and I'll take care of it. We get stuck in this guilt and shame loop. And so we avoid God so that we never have to dig up what we buried. We never have to change what we're doing. We just are content with handing God back whatever he gave us, which at the end of times is just going to be our life, right? Oh yeah, God, I'll give my heart to you when you come back. Like, I'll do that. But for now, there's other things I need to take uh, take care of. But what we're really communicating is where our treasure is. Matthew 6, 21, you might know this verse, where your treasure is, there your heart is also. So what does it say about placing the treasure God gave you in the ground? You're not treating it like a treasure, right? So all of a sudden, the position of the talent actually reflects the position of my heart The position of the talent reflects my proximity to God. Do I understand him well enough that that I know that he's not going to overwhelm me, that I know that he's not going to underwhelm me? Or have I succumbed to these fake ideologies of who God is because I haven't done the time with him that I'll just bury it in the ground? It's a sad and a scary reality. But do not fall for the trap. The issue is not the amount of money that each of the servants gave. It's what they did with it. It's burying the talent. And Jesus is saying, don't bury it. Maybe God has given you multiple things. Let's just play this out for a second. For a, 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 blah, 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 blah. Play it out for a second. Multiple things. If the issue is burying the talent, then what if the servant with five talents buried one of them? He's still not being faithful with everything God gave. And sometimes we can justify serving on a Sunday or uh, maybe doing my morning devotions or maybe I gave five bucks to, you know, someone who was sitting on the side of the road and we tick these boxes off and we go down the list and we're like, did this, did this, did this, did this, did this, oh, don't want to do that, I'll just bury it. And we feel like we're doing great, right? Because we're growing some things. Meanwhile, we're ignoring the other things that if we incorporated that in would actually fulfill us and bring us to this state of being happy with God and enjoying time with him. But instead, it's always arm's length. So part three, get your shovel. What you walk into is determined by what you're willing to walk out of. And just like the Israelites had to walk out of Egypt and into the wilderness and walk out of the wilderness and into the promised land, so too do we need to walk out of some things in order to walk into other things. And maybe what you need to walk out of this morning is your assumptions. Maybe you need to walk out of the life that you have set up to look like everything's in place, but on the inside, we know something's buried. Hebrews 12, verse 1 to 3. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Let us run a race with perseverance, the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. See, when I'm running for God, it's not just, uh, is it sinful? And then I'll cast it off. It's, does it make me run faster? and I'm chasing towards God, and it's not just about, oh, what are the moral rules? What is this? What is that? I just want to know, does it make me run faster? Because if it doesn't make me run faster, then I don't need it. I'll just throw it off. But if I'm running towards myself, and I'm not looking to Jesus, and I'm not chasing after God, then I'll justify things that I usually would never justify throwing off. I'll bury things that were never meant to be buried, because I'm trying to run as fast as I can to whatever I want. The, the principle is applicable in both situations. So what does this mean for us this morning? Well, I would like to remind you that God is thoughtful. And not only is God thoughtful, but God is merciful and God is full of grace. I'd like to read verse 19 out for you. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. After a long time, So it wasn't as if the master was trying to catch the servants in some sort of gotcha moment after a long time. And could it be that if he knew them well enough to know what they were capable of with the different amounts of talents, that he also knew what they may struggle with as well? And all of a sudden, not coming back sooner actually becomes an extension of the master's grace because he's giving them the most amount of time to sort out all of this stuff, Because let's not pretend it takes a lot of time and effort to fix what's going on in here and up here. It's not just a quick fix. It's not like you read a book and you're done or you go to a therapy session and you're done. It takes a lot of time. And yet God is here and he's waiting. I'm just going to wait. Maybe I'll just wait a little bit longer. Just wait till they can get it together. 2 Peter 3, verse 9, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promises, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. He's not slow, he's patient. Why? He doesn't want anyone to perish. God is not evil, but we keep thinking like he's this master that just wants to bring down the hammer. That's not who he is, though. So I'd like to suggest something, no one's forcing you to, no one's manipulating you, but maybe today is the day that you dig it up. Maybe today's the day that you get it back, because it is true, your lack of confidence does not have to be the death of your calling, but are you going to have the humility to maybe say, hey, I actually did bury something, but I need to bring it back? Are you going to be able to say, I'm not worried about what other people think about me. I need to get it back because my life is not going to be complete. My joy is not going to be complete. I'll never be satisfied or fulfilled or content or happy without it because it's what God gave me. And what God gave me is there to use. He knows who you are. He knows what's going to overwhelm you. He knows what's going to underwhelm you. God knows everything about you. And yet we pretend like He's this distant Father that walked out on us, but He's not. He's just waiting, waiting, waiting for you to get it together, waiting for you to dig it back up. And we bury things all the time. Don't pretend like you haven't. I have plenty of times. Maybe it's a marriage that you've buried and you're just content with where it is. Dig it up. It's time to get it up. Remind yourself how much you guys fell in love with each other when you first met. Whatever you need to do, it's time to dig it up because God's placed that person in your life for you, for your calling, for the, 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 the saving of so many other people, but it stays dead in the ground. Maybe you've buried your career. You were supposed to go one way, but it was a bit too scary, so you went another way. Hey, it's not too late to turn around now. It's never too late. If God's not back and you're not dead, then God's not done and neither are you. He's not done. But just because it's somewhere where we put dead bodies, we think that we're dead as well. But it's not the case. Maybe you've buried skills. Maybe you've buried parts of your personality, your identity, because you were ashamed of what people might think of you. It's time to dig it up. Maybe you've you've buried your faith. You got hurt, you got damaged by something. And in order to protect it, you just put it in the ground because there it's going to be safe. There I don't have to use it. There I don't have to risk getting hurt again. But our God is thoughtful. He's a caring, loving Father. Don't settle for the level of of content that you've found. I read this Bible and it's filled with stories of people who at the moment where they thought that the world was against them, they didn't give up because they knew who God was. And if He's for you, what could be against you? So church, this is on you. It's on you right now. We're going to have a time where we go back into the presence of God. So ask Him, God, is there anything I've buried? Or maybe you already know. And it's time to start that conversation up with Him again. It's on you, church. It's on you and me. And this world will be worse off if we leave what we've buried in the ground. We hope you enjoyed this message. We would love you to subscribe to our weekly podcast. Other ways you can connect with Avant Life is through YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook. Or check out our website at avantlifechurch.com.